It's Thursday, January 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, our man Morgan Housel. Thanks for being here. How you doing? I'm doing well, and I want to start by giving uh, an extra shout-out to the man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, because for those who listened to yesterday's Market Foolery, Dan Boyd was MacGyver-esque in his efforts to make that happen, because sometimes technology, for all its wonder, just sort of blows up on you. And uh, we basically, Dan avoided us having to come back into the studio, myself, Bill Barker, and Bill Mann, and taping Market Foolery for a second time. The show was actually streamed through a Dixie cup and a string. <laughs> Together. That's how Dan did it. That's how we did it. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to get to some of what you've been working on, but let's start with something that we rarely, if ever, talk about on Market Foolery, and that is currency. Uh, a little background for our listeners. Back in 2011, the Swiss National Bank, which is the central bank in Switzerland, adopted a currency cap to uh, protect the country's economy, basically maintaining a minimum exchange rate for the Swiss franc against the euro. And while we were sleeping, Morgan, <laughs> the central bank in Switzerland basically just came out and said, yeah, we're scrapping that plan. Said, eh, we're done with this. And so, the Swiss franc is up 33% against the euro. It is up 31% against the dollar. Which, I mean, to put that in context, if you had a 30% move in a decade, that would be big. And this happened since the last dinner I ate. Right. So, I have a couple of questions, but let's start with, for whom is this a big deal? Well, look, if you pay your mortgage in Swiss francs, this is a big deal. If you plan on going to Switzerland this year, this is a big deal. If you don't, and I imagine most of the listeners don't, then it really doesn't mean much for you. As an investor, I think it's a, it's an example of what uh, of what investing overseas can do to you. Because you're not just dealing with the companies that you own and how they perform as a business, but you have this extra element of what is the currency doing of these companies that I own. If you own foreign companies like Nestle or Toyota or HSBC, which are popular companies a lot of these, you have currency risk in that. And that's not something a lot of U.S. investors think about, because the biggest, the best companies that most investors want to own are U.S. companies that do most of their sales in U.S. dollars. And it's just not something that we, we think about very much. But it, it really is a big risk if you're an international investor. And I think a lot of investors in the last decade, especially in the middle of the last decade, got linked on this view of the dollar's going to lose value. The dollar's going down. I need to hedge that. And they did that by owning stocks that, uh, that do a lot of business in other currencies, international companies, whatnot, uh, and that that makes sense. It's good to be diversified, but in in reality, the opposite scenario occurred, and the dollar didn't get weaker; it got considerably stronger. And then, so that that hedge that they thought was going to you know guard them against a falling dollar ended up hurting them. So it's it's just an example, I think, of how uh, how risky currencies can be. If heaven forbid, you want to be a currency trader. <laughs> It's a very dangerous game, and you know this. This news with the Swiss franc just happened this morning. I think we're definitely going to hear stories in the coming weeks about hedge funds or bank traders or someone like that who went broke overnight, because a lot of these currency traders that trade in Swiss francs and whatnot use a ton of leverage. They're borrowing a lot of money to make make these bets, and if you if you're leveraged, you know, ten to one or a hundred to one, you're borrowing money at that rate, 
and it loses 30% overnight, you're done. Game over. Go find a new career. Isn't part of the surprise here that it's Switzerland? I mean, if Russia right. did this, I mean, we, we, we actually talked recently about Russia and their center. But the fact that it's Switzerland, which I think the average investor, to the extent that they think about individual European countries, their economies, and their stability, Switzerland probably ranks at or near the top of the list in terms of steady, you know, we're right. not going to make any sudden moves. And maybe this, maybe this wasn't a sudden move in their mind, but certainly the ripple effect of it, to your point, is, is going to bankrupt some people. I mean, there's even the phrase Swiss-like neutrality. Right. And people, this is a country that doesn't like to shake things up very much, likes to just keep things as they are. And yeah, to have a monster move like this. I mean, in 1992, I think it was, the British pound fell, I think, 15 or 20 percent overnight. And people still talk about that today, more than 20 years later. So for, to have the, the Swiss franc fall 30 percent in one day, this will be it's not an exaggeration to say this will be in history books. This is massive news for the currency markets. See, now, I think you're absolutely right that in the coming weeks, we're going to see these stories of hedge funds, of currency traders just getting wiped out with this one single move. The story I'm the most interested in is the story of how this move was made. Of what, yes. uh, And I know nothing about the central bank in Switzerland. But I really hope someone comes out with a behind-the-scenes, this is how this works. Because I like to believe that there's one up-and-coming, you know, young upstart on the central bank who convinced the others to go along with this move. Or maybe it's just someone with an abnormal amount of power just had a bad day yesterday and said, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. We're done with this. They skipped lunch. I'm so they... tired of not being in the newspaper. And Let's do something here. Uh, <laughs> when you are not... Uh, working for The Motley Fool from time to time. You are penning a column for The Wall Street Journal, and you and I were talking this morning. One of the things that this has done for you is it has gotten you um, in the habit of talking to people who are trading on Wall Street, uh, other columnists, other economists. I'm curious, to, to the extent that you can share you know, some of the interesting conversations that you've had with people and what you've learned over the last couple of months. Yeah, so for a, a column that's coming up, uh, it'll be published this this weekend. Uh, I, I talked to a bunch of Wall Street strategists, and a strategist is not an investor in the sense that they're investing someone else's money. They're really like an in-house think tank. They put out analysis, they make forecasts. So I talked to the top strategists at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and BlackRock, a lot of big, well-known financial institutions, and these are the chief market strategists. There are 22 main chief market strategists from the biggest banks and money management firms. Every single one of them, without exception, forecasts that the S&P 500 will rise this year. There's not, one, there's not a single one of them that is bearish at all. And if you are- What am I supposed to think about that? You know, you might say, oh, that's great. The smartest people who have the best information and talk to the best investors all think stocks are going up. You could also say, man, as a contrarian, as someone who, you know, this is the sixth year in a row in 2014 that, that stocks closed higher. There's never been a seven-year consecutive run. Uh, and now you have all the strategists uniformly bullish. As a contrarian, what does that mean? Well, it's it's 
makes me a little uncomfortable. I was going to say, I'm and Irish. Thought, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and talking to these people, something else was very interesting. They're all very smart people. I really admire what they do. And they're, they're all, it was great talking with them. But every single one of them told the same thing. And I talked to them separately. And every one of them said, we are a contrarian on the market. We actually think stocks are going to go up this year, and here's why. And they really said, we're a contrarian. We stand out of the crowd in this. And then you talk to the next person, and they say the exact same thing. And you talk to the next person, and they say the same thing. I don't think they necessarily realize that they all say the same thing, and they all think that they stand out from the crowd. And I think this is true for professionals or individual investors. Nobody wants to say, I'm a lemming. Nobody wants to say, I agree with the crowd on this. Everyone wants, wants to think. Because people know if you want abnormal results, you need abnormal thinking. So no one wants to say, I'm with the crowd. But in reality, they, they really do. They all pretty much believe the same thing. Were you at all tempted when you got to maybe the seventh or eighth person who said that to say, you know, just <laughs> not for nothing, but the last seven people I've talked to said the exact same thing? I, I try to stay polite. <laughs> Radio at fool.com is our email address. A um, couple of email worth mentioning. Uh, first, from Cormac Eubanks in San Francisco, listener number 333. First, let me say how much I enjoy the show. Thank you for that. Um, at Skycatch, which is the company Cormac works at, at Skycatch, we use flying robots to give real time mapping data to customers in the mining, construction, and agriculture industries. On Tuesday's market foolery, you said with respect to drones that, quote, there is no commercial policy in place with the FAA. Actually, there is a policy in place. It is called a 333 exemption, and we've had a few filed and approved. Keep up the great work. Uh, good point. Simon Erickson made the point about how there, there is no policy, and um, it sounds like certainly there, um, there are exemptions and increasing ones. Where are you on flying drones? Are you, are you bullish on that, or are you... Are you excited about that? What's your gut feeling on flying drones? I think with most technologies, the first iteration looks ridiculous, and you say, how could we ever do this? And then after 20, 10 or 20 years, it's it's fantastic. So that's probably what it is for drones. People think, like, how is Amazon going to deliver toothpaste to my front door with a drone? Well, it sounds ridiculous right now, and it is ridiculous right now, but I think in, in 20 years, I think Jeff Bezos is, is, is a visionary on that. And from Allison Dove in Berkeley, California, uh, one of the many emails we've received regarding two-hour delays at schools. Allison writes, here in the Bay Area, schools were closed because of rain back in December. Boo hiss. And she signs it, former Minnesotan Allison Dove. Yeah, that is one of those things. If you're from a cold-weather state and you move to a place that's not a cold-weather state, you don't get it. The behavior seems sort of um, odd. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Lake Tahoe. You you could get five feet of snow and no one would blink. And then I've I've also lived in cities where I lived in Seattle, and you'd get an inch of snow and the city shuts down. School ever canceled because of rain in Seattle? Any any sort of like? <laughs> if that was the case, there would be no school. Yeah. Be a lot of idiots in Seattle if that was the case. Um, a couple of housekeeping notes before uh, our final. Uh, story. Uh, first, we're going to be off on Monday because it's, uh, it's the Martin Luther King Day holiday. So it's we'll... also going to rain on Monday. So we got we're just, we're shutting down. <laughs> we're sure of shutting that. down. Believe me, in this area, I'm, it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. Uh, but so we're off Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, second, I like to mention this from time to time. We are hiring here at the Motley Fool. We've got all our jobs posted at culture.fool.com. That's culture.fool.com. We are looking for experienced financial planners 
portfolio accountants. And yes, we are still looking for summer interns. So if you're a college student or you know a college student who might be inter, uh, interested, point them to culture.fool.com. Uh, finally, I just want to say a quick word of thanks to our friends in Seattle at Valve Software, because a few of our colleagues visited there last week. They learned a ton about corporate culture. They came back here to Full HQ just buzzing with ideas. So, thank you very much for that, and hopefully one day we can return the hospitality. Uh, before we finish, this week is the kickoff of earnings season. Uh, Alcoa earlier in the week, we've got the banks uh, starting to come out. It, it really gets into high gear next week and, and a couple of weeks after that. Any thoughts uh, as we head into earnings season? Is there anything in particular that you are curious about? Anything in particular you're watching for? Most of the big banks for the last three years have been sued by everyone who's ever done business <laughs> with them, every regulator, every client. And the banks in earnings seasons uh, you know, have really framed it as these are one-time charges. And it's true, like for, the, for legal expenses, we, we got sued on this issue once, we paid our fine, and now we're done. But there have been so many lawsuits, it becomes so prevalent, that it's hard to keep calling them one-time charges when they happen quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. So I'm always curious to see how the bank CEOs frame these charges as, don't worry about this, this isn't going to happen again when it's been happening consistently. I can't imagine any of the big banks would ever share this information. But And we've talked about this before. We've seen, certainly over the last, I would say, seven to ten years, the number of analysts on Wall Street has declined as the different investment houses and big banks are, are looking to cut costs. And so, and by the way, that's why investors are seeing less and less coverage of individual stocks. The majority of stocks out there, good luck finding more than one or two analysts covering it. Um, but I would be very curious to see, um, just take the, the big six banks and just say, okay, over the last five years, what has been the percentage decline in your analysts pool? And what has been the percentage increase in your lawyer pool? I have to believe every one of them has an increase in lawyers. I know they all have fewer analysts. What percentage of J.P. Morgan employees has a JD? That's <laughs> Morgan Housel, thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Tuesday.